It's Rumination Tuesday when we take a look at a hymn with Pastor Mark Smith. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and the hymn we're going to be taking a look at is Hark, a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Now, the authorship of this venerable Advent hymn has sometimes been ascribed to the 4th century Latin hymn writer Ambrose of Milan. Now, it does have certain Ambrosian characteristics, but it certainly is not his. And the reason is it's not referred to in any sources before the 10th century, and Ambrose died in 397. However, and whoever its author is, whatever its precise date of composition, the hymn has found wide use in the later Middle Ages. The English translation of Edward Coswell was published in his Lyra Catholica of 1849 and is one of the most successful of the many translations of this hymn. Although its first line also has been revised. Originally, Caswell had, hark, an awful voice is sounding. It's sung during the season of Lent, and is the hymn ascribed for the third Sunday in Lent, I'm sorry, Advent. I'm getting ahead of myself. In Advent. And so it's something that many of us may be using this coming Sunday. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Pastor Mark Smith, did you recognize that tune? No, I'm afraid I didn't. <laughs> I know. I didn't either. But um, it's it'll, about the it'll voice. It'll have to be more thrilling than that for me to, to use it as a hymn. <laughs> yes. Well, isn't that interesting that the original was Hark an Awful Voices Sounding? Yeah, that's We'd, that's not real exciting either. <laughs> well, I think it is. It depends how you define yeah. the word awful. Right. Full of awe. Yes. It's full of awe. It's not terrible. 
Right. And that was full of awe. And who is the voice that is sounding? John the Baptist. Exactly. So, if you would be so kind to read the first stanza of Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Okay. Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Christ is near, we hear it say. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. Now, that's really an important statement, because that is the ministry of John the Baptizer. Does he use the law or the gospel? Oh, I would say he uses, he uses the, the, the law. Um, yes. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, of course, there is good news that the, the that the uh, Messiah is on his way. That's wonderful news. But he, he does stress repentance. Yes, well said, well said, because that is his mission, one of repentance, and that repentance is really important. This, of course, is the reading, as I said. For the third Sunday in Advent, which occurs on December 11th, I'm going to be touching the gospel reading, and it says this, and I want you to see if you can explain it. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, how can you understand that? Yeah, I think there, there, are, uh, there are various interpretations of that. But I would say, you know, John is, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is, he, he has enjoys the distinction of being the the forerunner of Christ. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets to come and to be and to be privileged to announce the arrival of the Savior that He's here. So in that sense, He is uh, He is very important uh, in the kingdom of God. But um, but nevertheless, Christ, who is going to follow the promised Savior is uh, is much 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 more important than he he's 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 our salvation yet it says the one who is least in yes. the kingdom of heaven is greater than he well i would say that's Je jesus to jesus hey, well but jesus don't forget jesus is in his state of humiliation right yeah i i take it to mean the difference and you really hit it on the head well, that John the baptizer, he was the last prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus even says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I mean, that is what the Old Testament says about John the baptizer. How does he prepare the way before Jesus? What he preparation is necessary? 
he calls people to repentance. Yes, well said. In other words, Jesus is coming with a gift, the forgiveness of sins. But if a person does not recognize that they are a sinner and unable to take care of their sins, then they're not going to be interested in the message of Jesus Christ. That's right. And that did occur with uh, when the Pharisees and Sadducees showed up. But good point. So that I would say that the kingdom of heaven has a number of meanings. And John the baptizer was not yet in the kingdom of heaven that was inaugurated as the Holy Christian Church, which occurred at Pentecost. Right. And so with the Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then any Christian, the least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than John the Baptist. Because John talked about repentance. Jesus and Christians also talk about the gospel. There's even a Bible verse that Moses used the law, but Jesus talked on the gospel. Yes. In fact, uh, Tom, uh, as, as privileged as John the Baptist was, to announce the coming of the Savior. What a high privilege he, he had. Nevertheless, he would envy he would envy our privilege that we have as Christians in the New Testament that we can partake of the very body and blood of our Savior for forgiveness That's of sins. John the Baptist, as important as he was, did not enjoy that privilege, nor did any of the other Old Testament prophets. Well said. Very, very good. All right, I'll do stanza two. Startled at the solemn warning, let the earthbound soul arise. Christ its son, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. Now, why I like that verse, it gives the ministry of John the baptizer and it's a ministry of solemn warning. You already mentioned that, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And Jesus, his ministry is not warning as it is comfort. Right. He that believes in me and is baptized shall be saved. So it's not that John did not have the message of the gospel, like had David had in Psalm 22, etc. But you made a really good point. He never enjoyed receiving the sacrament of the altar. Yes, yeah, I look at that uh, second verse, Tom. Uh, it says, uh, "Christ, its Son." Uh, all sloth dispelling shines upon the morning skies. I think of that one passage that says the the sun of righteousness arise, arises with healing in its wings. Well said. Because what we're talking about is a situation where people are in darkness when they are born because of original sin. And therefore, this is a metaphor that God uses often between unbelievers and believers. 
unbelievers are in darkness, believers are in the light of the Lord, and that's where Christ becomes the Son. And the way the word son is spelled is not S-O-N, but S-U-N. Right. That he's the light. In fact, when was that light created? At the beginning. Uh, at the, at, he's, the word, Jesus, the eternal word, had, the, had a part in creating the son. And even before the son was created, S-U-N. The first thing Jesus did, according to Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. light. And even Revelation talks about when we get to heaven, though the sun may be there, there will be no need for the sun That's right. because of the light of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Does it say the lamb is, it, is its lamp? The Lamb of God, um, Jesus, is, uh, or am I thinking of a, hymn, a line from a hymn? Um, Jesus, the the Lamb of God, is, is going to be our what, light. It's actually what John the Baptist says. Uh-huh. Behold the Lamb of God Lamb, who, taketh, who taketh away the sin of the world, right? Exactly, exactly. So well said. So that's... Stanza two, and he's shining upon the morning skies. The morning is the beginning of the day. And for the Christian, there is no end to that because of our eternity in heaven. Talking about the lamb, let's go on with stanza three, please. See the lamb so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all, to be forgiven. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. If he's coming down from heaven, and why would we have tears of sorrow? Well, because of our repentance. It's, it's, like that, uh, it's like the publican in the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I would imagine he had tears flowing down his cheeks, and yet he went home that day justified. He went home that day forgiven. He couldn't even lift his head up right. to heaven when he was praying. That's right. Yep. In contrast to the Pharisee who was praying publicly, thanking God that he doesn't need Jesus Christ because he fasts, he tithes. And he's not like those terrible tax collectors who were Jews working for the Romans. That, that's really what unbelievers believe, that by their works, they're good enough to go to heaven. But no, they need the lamb also. It says he comes with pardon down from heaven. Now, how do we understand pardon? How do we understand part? I, w- I would equate that to, to forgiveness. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, we're justified. Um, we're declared righteous. We're declared righteous by him. About the one time that the government declared pardon was during the Vietnam War 
when some people who would have been taken into the army, they fled to Canada. And after the war, they were pardoned. And so they did not have to spend time in jail for not following the laws. It's not that they weren't guilty. It's not that they hadn't sinned, but that their sin was no longer held accountable to them. Right. That's what pardon does. Right. And you were right. That's what forgiveness is. So I think it says, let us haste with tears of sorrow. That sometimes occurs in a church when a person hears the absolution. And how does that absolution begin? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. As As a called and ordained servant of the Lord, I announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the absolution. That's the absolution. But I had asked, right. what was the beginning? The first word is upon. Upon, right. Well, can you finish it? No. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I'll, you've I'll got s- to get me started, Tom. Okay. Upon, upon this, your this, confession. Upon this, your confession. It. Right? Yes. Go ahead. I don't forgive the sins of everyone in the congregation. I don't have that authority. But God forgives the sins of everyone in the congregation whose confession of repentance is sincere. That's right. That's how John the baptizer prepared people for the coming of Jesus. It talks about Hills and valleys. What is meant by that? Oh, uh, the hills and valleys. The uh, hills and mountains will be made low. The valleys will be lifted up. In other words, that's law and gospel. If you are all puffed up like many of the Pharisees and Sadducees were, they're puffed up. They're full yep. of themselves. You're going to be. You're going to be brought low. You know, you're, you're. The law applies there. That's where that's what you receive the law. But if somebody is low, if somebody is low in the valley, like uh, like the publican in the temple uh, is another good example, uh, they're going to be yeah. lifted up. They're going to be. That's who the gospel is for. That's excellent explanation. Yes, and so see the lamb so long expected, and that was something when John said. Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Because the world is wrapped indeed in fear. So let me read stanza four. So when next he comes in glory and the world is wrapped in fear, he will shield us with his mercy and with words of love draw near. Now, I'm not going to say that John the baptizer did not have words of love, but I would say it's tough love. What's the difference between the love of John the baptizer and the love of Jesus? Well, tough love is is loving discipline. Yes. Um, it, it's not just gushy and uh, 
without without basis. Uh, you, you know, a, a person may show love, but they've got to show loving discipline as well for the, for the sake of that person. Yes, when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, was that a loving statement? Yes, because maybe I think part of the reason why Jesus said that is was to startle Peter a little, help him realize that he was becoming, uh, even with his best intentions, he had good intentions, but even with those intentions, he was becoming the mouthpiece of Satan. Well said. That's really a good explanation. And so when Christians hesitate to tell people who are living in immorality that they're living in immorality, that's not an act of love. That's actually an act of hatred because we don't care if they go to hell, but we do care. And so that's why the mission of the church, remember the theme I have for Advent is we should fear God and Why? Because the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension are all acts where God is rescuing us from Satan, the world, and the flesh. So, it says, when next he comes in glory. That sounds like there's, that's the second time he comes in glory. When's the first time he comes in glory? Well, uh, I would be inclined to say he comes in glory um, as, as a little baby in the manger. Exactly. Not only do the shepherds worship him, but so also do the wise men. Yeah, in and fact, so, it doesn't say the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Yes, yes. And that was the angel's message to the shepherds. And what did the shepherds do after they visited Mary and Joseph and the baby? They went and told abroad the saying about this child. Isn't that interesting? They spread the good news. Those humble shepherds, those humble shepherds had the, you know, they, they were moved by the gospel. Seeing the gospel in that little manger, they were moved by that gospel to share that good news with everybody uh, everybody they came across. Yes. Humble we, shepherds. We have a sign at one of the churches that I'm helping out with. Uh, as you leave the parking lot, what does it say? You are now entering into the mission field. Yes. And that's because parents are to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when we get the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with others. It's becoming more difficult, particularly in this world of immorality and sin and also persecution. And wokeness. Yes, wokeness, which means what? Uh, Political correctness. Yes, yes, that uh, the big deal is uh, that it's, well, the idea that the idea that we're almost to the point where it's hate speech to speak against 
uh, same-sex marriage yes. and homosexuality. Exactly. And, and so that's uh, a new understanding of the mission of the church, which is absolutely contrary to God's word. Okay, stanza five, please. Honor, glory, might, dominion to the Father and the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run. And, of course, that's a doxological verse. It, it, uh, it mentions all, all the persons of the Trinity. And so, therefore, it has a triangle on the last verse, right. which is meaning that the people stand. Right. In the four congregations I'm helping with, they now are doing this automatically. In fact, one of them used the old hymnal that never has a triangle. But they seem to recognize that when it's talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they stand anyway. Yeah. And I think that's that's very good. Yeah, in fact, so, a good organist will, will signal that by his playing. He'll signal that this is a doxological verse and we stand for it. Yeah, and how do they do that? I don't know what that is called. Is it an interlude? What, uh, what that, uh, that signal that the organist gives in his playing uh, that signals the people, uh, the congregants, to stand. I don't know what that term is. I want to say interlude, but I'm not sure. I think that's a pretty good term. When I play the organ occasionally, uh, the way I do it is I repeat the tune of the last phrase. And, and that alerts people that, oh, this is a doxological hymn. And notice, to the triune God is honor, glory, might, and dominion. So this is a great hymn to be sung during Advent. And thank you very much for helping us. You were a little surprised, weren't you, that the original title was An Awful Voice is Sounding. Yes. <laughs> but a thrilling voice is sounding. Uh, tomorrow on Law and Gospel, we'll continue with the study of Proverbs. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.